Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Yoon Seri and Captain Ri Jong Hyuk from the Korean drama Crash Landing on You. And joining us for the discussion is first-time guest Rachel Armstrong. Welcome, Rachel. Hello. And to save some of the difficulty that we I, I will have with some of the names, having watched this entire Korean drama, and it is delightful, and I highly recommend it, but I never could nail down the characters' names. Uh, the female lead is Yoon Seri, and I can do that one. And the the male lead, I'm just going to call Captain Ri. That's, I think, the easier way out for me instead of yes. butchering uh, a, a, another language on this planet. <laughs> very, very safe. <laughs> Uh, Rachel, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, so I'm a longtime listener. I really love the podcast, and I also really love this TV show. Um, and I'm a part-time editor, and I a stay-at-home mom. So I'm excited to be here. Yeah, uh, and thank you for recommending this show. So that is how I came to it, is that you asked if uh, we could do this this TV show. And I was like, yes, I hadn't watched a single episode, but it sounded very intriguing. The premise of the show is that a uh, South Korean woman gets blown across the border during a paragliding accident and lands in North Korea. And then some romantic drama ensues from there uh, with all sorts of like soap operatic uh, additional drama of family intrigue and spies and just it, it, very compelling. Like I, it's hard to stop binging this show. I will just say. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's the basic premise. So you'd give me like that short pitch. I'm like, well, that sounds good. And my wife and I watched the first episode and then immediately watched the second episode. And then it's 16 episodes long. And each one is a, around 90 minutes. Is that right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And we finished the whole thing in, in uh, I think, about two weeks. Um, but, you know, each episode is, is like the length of a short movie. So that's a pretty quick binge. But it's like, like we said, pretty compelling. Like it, it has really strong narrative inertia that makes you want to see what happens next. Yes, definitely. And that is how it should be watched, I believe. <laughs> I've also done it in like a two day sprint, you know, <laughs> just well, the one thing I will say, and it was actually kind of nice because. I think so many people have become used to like the two screen experience where you're like 75% watching or, or paying attention to the plot that is on the big screen, but you're also scrolling social media or doing some, you know, mindless background work for whatever your job is uh, you know, th- that you can do with a little less focus on another screen. But because this one is all subtitles, like it's okay, here's my attention directly on that. And it was really nice to actually give full attention to, uh, to, to the story that was unfolding. That's true. That's definitely an added benefit of captions. I hadn't thought about that. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you first come to this Korean drama? So I started watching it when it, so it premiered on Netflix um, on December 14th in 2019. And my sister Sarah had seen it um, and she suggested it to me. So I started checking it out and I wasn't totally gripped by the first episode, but by the second one, I was all in. And then my husband, Matt, um, saw me watching it a few episodes into that and he got caught which i was very excited about (laughs) um and then we proselyted it to um my cousin and a best friend from high school and another friend (laughs) and then like my parents watched it and they're not really into drama so they watched it like 
they were enjoying it, but also in pain. It was very interesting to watch. They're like, there's too much drama, but we're going to watch the next episode. <laughs> there's a lot of drama in this show. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because there's parts of it that conform very like there's a familiarity to to some of the beats uh with western tv shows but there's other elements where it's like i can tell this is just a generic convention that does not quite match (laughs) my traditional viewing experience and you just kind of let that go or or you get used to it uh within a couple episodes yeah um especially at the end of each episode they'll do different stills from the that particular episode as like a canvas with glittery some glitter behind it's it. The same like pop song starts playing over. And it's like the romantic yes. finale of this. I, ne- I never got that. Never got old. I, I love that. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> you sometimes would be like, "Can you fast forward?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> we are watching the canvas stills." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't skip that. It kind of feels like they want you to print them out and have them <laughs> in your room or something. But uh, absolutely, like it was laugh out loud the first few times. It was like, yeah, "What yeah. in the world is this?" Because it it, does, <laughs> it was just so unexpected. Because often. Uh, it would be like a really dramatic moment and then like romantic canvas imagery, <laughs> canvas art. <laughs> yeah, um, my husband has a someone who works for him who is from South Korea and he's like, yeah, the Koreans just really love their graphics. They're really into... <laughs> <laughs> so. um, and I haven't watched... Uh, any others except for my wife and I, we enjoyed this one so much. We did start one other and we've only watched one episode so far. Um, Korean drama that was on Netflix and it did the same, a similar thing at the end where it, uh, you know, as it's heading into the credits, it stopped. It wasn't on canvas, but it was still like still photographs of moments from that episode uh, were played before the credits rolled. Yeah. And I watched um, this one called her private life, which is really silly, but um, the first six episodes have so many little animations. It, you know, it's actual people, but there are tons of tiny animations happening and little like boingy sounds. And it was very distracting at first until I just learned to accept it and move through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Well, I'm sure we can touch on some more of those uh, after we summarize the episode. But why don't we get through some of this trivia? And thank you, Rachel, for finding so much great trivia. Some of which, as I uh, like, I had done a little initial research and then I came back to the, the Google Doc and you, you had put in so much. I'm like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> I'm glad. I know you're doing a lot of work, so I wanted to... <laughs> To make I that really easier. appreciate all this. Uh, so I'm going to read through this because you also wrote the summary for the episode and we'll let, we'll let you read that. Uh, but just to, to split up the, the heavy reading. Uh, so we, as we said, Crash Landing on You is a one season 16 episode show that's available on Netflix. And it aired on the South Korean TV channel TVN. And then it moved to Netflix for a worldwide, uh, worldwide release in 2019. Uh, as of the final episode, the show was the third highest rated Korean cable drama in Korean cable television history, and Time.com named it one of the best uh, 10 Korean dramas to watch on Netflix. Um, and I just doubled, uh, like, I, I, I started to poke around a little bit, and there is people clamoring for a second season, but the tradition in Korean TV is that you get one season and it's self-contained, and that's it. Uh, there are yes. a few exceptions, but not very many at all. Which I think makes it easier to get into, you know, if you didn't initially, because you don't have to worry about, you know, extra media coming out to consume. Yes, or the, uh, you know, the the dreaded weight uh, in our binge consumption society of, yeah, <laughs> of like, wait, what? Uh, so well, like I've, I've recently did the the French drama Lupin on Netflix, which oh, me too, yeah. The 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 episode ends and you're like, where where's the next one? And it's like season two will be coming ambiguously in the future <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like, no <laughs> and, i need season two right now <laughs> and that's only five episodes lupin you know they yeah. just give you a taste and then they <laughs> take it away yeah 
So uh, the show title's literal translation is Love's Emergency Landing, and it was written by Park Ji-un and directed by Lee Jong-hyo. And Crash Landing on You, as we noted, it tells the story of a South Korean CEO who accidentally paraglides into the North Korean side of the DMZ between North and South Korea during a surprise tornado. And I will just say, you, you mentioned like you didn't really get into it in the second episode. The first episode is all about establishing what is going on and the second episode is where we start to meet the characters absolutely the second care you know the second episode which is the one we're going to discuss in more depth like that's where it really starts to review and you just got to let go some of the graphics in the first episode like the tornado blowing the paraglide it's yeah. not the greatest <laughs> uh <laughs> moment in in cgi history i will just say yes that. <laughs> yes that's true although there is a tractor spinning around inside of it which people were suggesting was a callback to um Wizard of Oz. So I think it's supposed to be a little like it is a supposed to be a little out there, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, talking about like the the generic conventions of uh what would be expected like more than once there was a moment where I'm like that is just a little too cheesy for me, but maybe it's exactly what people who grow up on these are expecting. Yeah. Um you know, some of the moments in you know throughout different episodes and sometimes it's like the big dramatic moment I'm like mm, that didn't land for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that in some of those moments, especially the romantic ones, there's usually another person in the room or place where they are who's feeling uncomfortable <laughs> about what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, can we, can you guys leave this car? Like, <laughs> um, and uh, once she lands on in North Korea, she enlists the help of uh, soldiers to hide her and get her back to South Korea. And then antics and romance uh, particularly, you know, the with the North uh, Korean captain in Sue. And yeah. I just need to say, like, these two leads, they're some of the most stunningly attractive people I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they uh, both get to have their, like, um, fashion makeover moments where they're, mm-hmm. you know, trying on different outfits. So you really get to to see that. Yeah, and some different hairstyles happening for both of them throughout as yeah. they've got to disguise themselves. Yeah. Uh, the show was extremely popular in South Korea, Japan, the Philippines, and China, in part due to its portrayal of a more realistic and nuanced North Korea. Uh, scenes in North Korea were shot in Mongolia and South Korea, and the scenes in Switzerland were filmed on location. Uh, and two scholars wrote in the Asia-Pacific Journal that Crash Landing on You is likely the most noteworthy South Korean popular culture representation of North Korea yet produced. And that's from Epstein and Green in 20. 20- 2020, which would have to be very recent. <laughs> that that one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was published? Which for academic publishing, that was quite the turnaround. I wonder if it was yeah. like, uh, oh man, this just the pace of that is astounding to me. <laughs> Um, some more trivia about the show. The team that produced Crash Landing on You was inspired by an incident in 2008 when South Korean actress Jung Ah Yang accidentally crossed the northern limit line into North Korea in a boat during a storm at sea. And uh, the South Korean fried chicken franchise Genesis BBQ, a sponsor of the show, rep- reported a 70% improvement in sales from one week to the next after the lead characters ate the franchise's specialty gold olive kitchen, uh, chicken. And the food in the show looks amazing. Uh, I understand. Like every time they were yeah. having fried chicken i was like mm, south korean fried chicken looks so delicious i wish i could have it right now <laughs> um the two actors who played uh sorry and captain ri who are son yi jin and hyun bin recently revealed that they have been dating for the past few months and they started a commercial for smart communications together this month as their characters from crash landing on you did you watch that commercial i did not watch it yet i need to uh, i'll put the link in the in the show notes for listeners okay it is gratuitous. I feel like <laughs> it's a yeah. You'll have, it just feels like they're really 
really working with what they've got there for commercial reasons. <laughs> um, North Korean propaganda media outlets called Crash Landing on You and another South Korea film about North Korea. Deceptive, fabricated, absurd, and impure. Like, I what a expected list the, of... first, yeah. the first three. That fourth one, impure, was unexpected. <laughs> Uh, in January 2020, the Christian uh, Liberal Party filed a complaint against the TVN network with the Seoul police, stating that the show portrayed North Korea in too positive a light in violation of the National Security Act of 1948. And this is one thing where uh, the politics of North and South Korea, like I have such a distant and naive understanding of what that relationship really is like. Um, I like I know what exists and that there's tension and I, I've you know, see news reports and things, but I, I don't really know what it's like at all. And that's one thing the show actually makes you think about. It's like, what, you know, <laughs> how, how do they really see each other? What, what is going on? And knowing that this is produced in South Korea, like you trust that it has more um, validity to what it represents than something that would, you know, maybe produ- be produced by America. But at the same time, you're also like, it's still, you know, uh, a, a soap opera drama. So there's enough that you, you also distance yourself from saying this is what it's really like. Yes, definitely. And they did have some North Korean defectors working on it. But I think, you know, some of them were in minor roles. Another one was helping with the writing team. And um, some of the North Korean defectors who saw it, you know, they would disagree about which parts were accurate or not. Like there's a, mm. a moment in which she's doing a steam bath. And one of the North Korean defectors was saying, we would never like we have regular showers. And another guy was like, well, I actually lived in a more rural part. And that is how we shower. So it makes sense that, you know, in different parts of North Korea, people from different parts of North Korea would. um think different parts were represented correctly or not um, but sometimes like, it, it was oh. about like 60 percent accurate and romanticized you know mm-hmm. so. and certainly uh, in the scenes in north korea like they, they represent uh like the urban rural divide as wildly different versions of north korea and um you know what what the life would be like if you were living in a small rural town versus um you know an urban city yeah, my understanding. I read a couple a, a memoir about North Korea, uh, a North Korean defector. It's the book, the girl with seven names, and um, and then I read one called Nothing to Envy, which was written by this um, reporter who talked to like seven different North Korean defectors from this one city in North Korea, and it seems like. Um, at least according to them and their experience, that people with higher social rankings get to live in Pyongyang, and that's where. Um, the only place that foreigners are really allowed to go when they come to the country. And sometimes they'll like clear out streets when foreigners are coming in so that they can't see, they can only see certain North Koreans there and they have a very strict itinerary of where they can go. And they always have these two different people with them so that if one person decide, you know, is getting bribed, the other one can make sure that they're not <laughs> so that they can control everyone's view of what North Korean life yeah. is like. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you added in some important real world historical context of this. Uh, So North and South Korea were one country that was occupied by the Japanese starting in 1910 when Japan lost World War II. The Soviet Union took control of the northern half of the Korean Peninsula and the United States took over the southern half. And the plan was to reunite the two halves as one country. But with the Cold War escalating, two different governments were established in 1948 and each government claims the other country as part of its own country. And that's not going well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, on June 25th, 1950, North Korea, with the backing of the Soviet Union, invaded South Korea, which began the Korean War. 
and the war reached a stalemate in 1953. And then there was an armistice, which was not signed by South Korea, reaffirmed, uh, uh, which was not signed by South Korea, that reaffirmed the peninsula split along the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. Uh, both countries continued to reaffirm their goal of reunification, despite on and off warmings of relations over the years, North and South Korea seemed to be far from reuniting. Um, about one third of North Korea's civilians serve in the military. Uh, the, the military role is very prominent in this film. Um, most of the social interactions that we get uh, with men are are military men in North Korea and then there's yes. this delightful cadre of women from the rural yeah. town <laughs> the side characters in this show are amazing oh they're uh, so good yeah all, all across the board um and uh, as you note, the army is the fourth largest in the world in North Korea um, after China the US and India despite a population of only about 25 million people and um, you put in from Wikipedia that men are universally conscripted while females undergo selective conscription. conscription. Conscription takes place at age 14, service starts at 17, and ends at 30. Children of the political elite, elites are exempt from conscription, as are people with bad um, – it says songbun, uh, which is yeah. – which um, is uh, social status, right? So, um, yeah, and the North Korean government rejects the idea that this exists, but many North Koreans have said that it exists. So it's everyone's classed into these three different classes, and within that there are uh, some crazy amount of um, categories. But basically, if you've got bad sungbung, you, you cannot rise higher above, and it affects the jobs that you get and where you can live. Okay. And uh, this conscription or recruitment is done on the basis of annual targets drawn up by the Central Military Commission of the Workers' Party of Korea and implemented locally by schools. Conscription first began uh, before the Korean War and initially under the rule of Kim Il-sung. Forced conscription was largely not necessary because of the level of voluntary enlistment, uh, and that was due to high financial rewards. Under Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un, those rewards have diminished. And that was all from Wikipedia, that last portion there. All right. Well, before we get to the summary of the episode, we want to thank you listeners for downloading this episode and listening. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we aren't covering as episodes of the podcast yet. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Now, Rachel, you wrote uh, the summary of this uh, second episode of the series, which, again, these episodes are long, (laughs) about the length of a short film. So uh, even though it's only one episode that we're covering, it's an impressive amount of plot that has to be covered. So I will turn the time over to you to read that summary. Okay. And I so the first paragraph, I'm just going to briefly mention the um, first episode, so people can get a sense of that. And I apologize for butchering the names. I have a friend who's currently in South Korea teaching English in Seoul. And if she listens to this, I know she's going to make so much fun of me. Well, <laughs> also, I, will, uh, I will attempt. I want to say, uh, listener, uh, Tommy, a uh, friend of the podcast and also a friend that I knew before I started the podcast, he speaks Korean and he sent some audio to help with the two leads uh, name pronunciations. But the, all of the side characters, I... I I can't even really attempt some of their names there. (laughs) It might be better if we just spell them out, but that would also take longer. So I don't know. Um, Okay. So I'll get started. 
In the previous episode, Yoon Seri, a South Korean CEO and the future heir to her father's companies, inadvertently paraglides into the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea during a tornado. While hanging from a tree in the DMZ, she meets a North Korean captain, Captain Rhee, who believes her story but still attempts to capture her. Seri escapes from Captain Rhee after he accidentally steps on a landmine while explaining he's an expert on landmines. And he isn't injured, but it is a funny sequence. Um, But Seri then disregards his directions to South Korea and accidentally crosses into North Korea proper, while the members of Captain Rhee's company, for various reasons, are unable to capture her. She's surprised to find herself in a remote North Korean military village outside the door of Captain Rhee's house, who hides her from his superior officer driving by. Okay, so episode two begins with a flashback to Seri as a a toddler. She's told to choose between items indicating her future path, but instead she grabs her father's hand. Back in the present, we return to Captain Rhee shielding Seri from his superior officer, Cho Tolgong, until the officer drives by. Seri decides at this moment to use Captain Rhee to get her back home. Then she goes into his bathroom to clean her face while he prepares a meticulous meal of homemade food for her. At the table, Seri refuses to eat the food, believing it may be poisoned. Captain Rhee then reveals he's still deciding whether to trust her or to kill her. Seri tells him that if there were internet, she could show him that she is famous and very rich. She then offers to give him money to protect her, but Captain Rhee is offended and takes away her breakfast. One of the captain of Captain Rhee's soldiers, Pyo Chisu, lets himself into Captain Rhee's yard and happily announces to Captain Rhee that the South Korean woman must be dead. A young woman was found in a car accident early that morning, and he's very excited. <laughs> Pyo Chisu explains to Captain Rhee over his objections that they will no longer be in trouble for letting the woman escape. He lists each soldier in the company and what that soldier did wrong during the incident with Seri when he is surprised to see her in the doorway. At Captain Reed's table, Pyo Chisu tells Seri that he still thinks she's a spy, despite her condescending protests, and that they should kill her. Seri uses the information she overheard from him to threaten blackmail. The three other soldiers of the company knock on Captain Reed's door, and Captain Reed reveals to them that Seri is alive. She's introduced to each soldier. There's Un Dongi, a sol- young soldier far from home and the head of a family of five, who was reading his mother's letter to him while Seri ran by, and that's why he didn't capture her. Ju Myok Jumok, whose name means fist, who is watching an illegal South Korean drama on the job <laughs> and weeping as he watched. And and Park Kwon Bam, an attractive young soldier and Captain Rhee's most reliable subordinate. Seri asks Jumok which Korean drama he was watching, and he tells her it was Stairway to Heaven, an actual Korean drama that aired in the winter of 2003. Seri reveals that she is friends with both the main actors, and Jumok is very excited. Seri invites the soldiers into Captain Rhee's house and convenes an emergency meeting. She tells them to drop her off in the DMZ, where she'll make her way back over to South Korea. Captain Rhee explains, this is impossible. The electric fences are now working after the storm, and their company has just switched out after two months of duty and won't be allowed back. Captain Rhee explains that protocol is to turn her over to the state security department. He's willing to turn Seri in if she wants him to, but he can't guarantee her safety. Jumok suggests that they take her in a boat to meet with another boat in international waters. At this, Seri promises to get Jumok an autograph from Juwoo, the main actress in Stairway Stairway to Heaven, after reunification. (laughs) Even so, Seri is worried she won't be back in time for the general stockholders meeting when her father will announce that she is the new CEO of his conglomeration. Captain Reed tells Seri she must not reveal what happened while she was in North Korea, and she agrees, saying that she will pretend she has amnesia. Jumok explains that suffering from amnesia happens nine out of ten times in South Korean dramas. <laughs> <laughs> the other soldiers are interested in Jumok's newly relevant information, and he's delighted to have this new translator role. 
The day continues pleasantly outside in the North Korean village. The North Korean women are down at the seaside, collecting seawater and pouring it over cabbage. One woman walks around, observing the work but not helping, as the others hurry to get her attention and agree with everything she says. Her name is Ma Yong-hee, and she is the wife of the colonel. Mrs. Ma has instructed the other Ajumas, who are middle-aged married women, to prepare Captain Ri's home with enough firewood, side dishes, and meat, because he is a quote-unquote national treasure. <laughs> the other women <laughs> laugh and agree. Back at Captain Ri's house, Captain Ri opens a salt crock and reveals the meat the women have left for him. Jumok explains to Sari that they don't have refrigerators, so they use the salt crock and a kimchi cellar in the ground to keep food fresh. Captain Ri tells them to stop talking. He cuts the meat carefully and cooks it is over. Is this the a- moment? I'm sorry. Is this the moment when she sees the um the the kimchi cellar? She says, "Oh, it's all uh, organic. This is so hip." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hit they. Yeah. <laughs> he cuts the meat carefully and cooks it over a briquette. Udongi watches in wonder. He's the young soldier. Captain Ri smiles at him and foretells that soon Udongi's village will also modernize. When Seri scoffs at a briquette as modern, Captain Ri gives her a look of rebuke. The soldiers in Seri, except for Captain Ri, sit at his table and eat the food he has prepared. Captain Ri explains they must return to their posts and that Seri needs to make sure no one can find her for the two days until Jumok's uncle can meet them with his boat. Captain Reed tells Seri to use the landline only in emergency to call him at work. In the next scene, Captain Reed is at work when the phone rings multiple times. Seri is asking for body wash, for shampoo, for a scented candle, hot water. During the different calls, Captain Reed responds in different ways. He tells her to use soap for shampoo and body wash. He hangs up on her. At one point, he instructs her in collecting hot water and creating a steam bath with a plastic bag hung over the basin. Seri is impressed by the DIY sauna and then takes a relaxing bath. Still at work, Captain Ri gets a call from his master sergeant, who tells him the car crash that morning killed all three of the Tomb Raiders from the first episode, the ones Captain Ri promised would face justice after a confrontation with South Korean soldiers in the DMZ. Captain Ri's master sergeant asks if it's possible that the rumors are true that the state security department has a secret armored truck division causing these accidents. <laughs> the armored <laughs> trucks are one of the, the funny yeah. moments for this. Like, it almost feels more like it belongs in a Transformers cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just these giant metal plates on front of these regular trucks and everyone's like, do they exist? <laughs> yes. Captain Reed travels to the local state security department building in, to ominous music and meets with his superior, Cho Chol Gong, and the senior colonel. Captain Ri reports to Chol Gong that he would like to investigate the car crash, and his superior agrees. When Captain Ri leaves, the other two men discuss whether Captain Ri's investigation will be a problem for their operation. Chol Gong explains that he knows the director of the Travel Bureau and will make sure Captain Ri is taken care of. The senior colonel and Chol Gong discuss Captain Ri's mysterious parentage. Chol Gong then tells the senior colonel that they have a new account to take care of, a South Korean who wants to live in North Korea to wait out the statute of limitations of 10 years for corporate fraud. This South Korean... Gu Sung-jun is a former friend of Seri's brother who has conned him out of Seri's father's money. At night in the North Korean village, school children are playing playing a game when their parents come to collect them from the square. A boy named Upil is left alone for a minute moment, but his dad, Manbok, a North Korean intelligence agent nicknamed the Rat, soon arrives, hugging him and bringing him his favorite donut. Seri emerges from the bath when a blackout occurs. She's afraid this blackout is part of an operation to catch her, but the other villagers return to business as usual after lighting lanterns. Seri grabs a flower pot for protection when she hears someone entering the house. Just before she hits the man on the head, she realizes it's Captain Ri, who is surprised and confused. (laughs) Seri breaks down, overwhelmed, 
by everything that's happened. Captain Ree hands her a candle, which he remembered she needs in order to sleep. But she cries, it's not a scented candle. And he stands there awkwardly. <laughs> she apologizes, but continues to cry. In another house in the village, one of the Ajumas hangs a blanket over the window while her husband turns on an illegal generator. She encourages her son to do his homework, but he is not interested. Nawal Sook, the woman, takes some food over to the senior colonel's house to curry favor with his wife, Mrs. Ma, hoping to get a promotion for her husband. Inside, Nawal Sook finds all the lights on and multiple women laughing and eating food with Mrs. Ma, while one of the women, Ok Jum, rides an exercise bike <laughs> to run the generator so Mrs. Ma can watch TV. And she is smiling so big. <laughs> She's like, I love riding this exercise bike for you. <laughs> In Captain Ree's house, Seti and Captain Ree sit at the table with a candle. Captain Ree tells her that fortune and misfortune are intertwined and everything will be okay. He's leaving for Pyongyang in the morning and he might not be back in time to say goodbye before she leaves on the boat. Then he gives her a bag of things he brought home. She follows him outside to ask him his name. He doesn't tell her his name, reminding her to forget her time there, and then he leaves. Seri returns to the house and inspects the bag he's given her. It's full of body wash, shampoo, conditioner, ointment for her cut, and clothes. In a flashback, we see Captain Ree at an open-air market, who in his confusion decides to buy all of the beauty products <laughs> one seller has. <laughs> he's not interested in figuring out which one's the right one. Seri smiles as she looks through the items and muses that Captain Ree pretends to be indifferent, but is kind of sweet. She applies the ointment to her cut, then falls asleep at the table and has a dream she's back home. Captain Ree travels to Pyongyang via train. The city looks more modern with cars and signs declaring the glories of North Korea. Captain Ree steps out on the train platform and he's arrested by soldiers from the investigation division of the travel bureau. He's marched to the defense security command where a superior officer interrogates Captain Ree about his treatment of the grave robbers. Captain Ree defends his actions during each accusation and the superior officer begins to yell at him explaining that he can make up any crimes he wants to. Captain Ree answers coolly he will be held responsible for what he said, and the man begins to attack Captain Ree. A general enters the viewing room next to the interrogation room and recognizes um, Captain Ree. Horrified, he stops the interrogation. The general explains that Captain Ree is the only son of the director of the General Political Bureau, and the interrogator falls back in horror. Back in his office, Chochul Gong receives a phone call from that interrogator, who yells at him, revealing Captain Ree's parentage. The interrogator explains the director had two sons, but one died in an accident. Chochul Gong hangs up on the interrogator, who's afraid he won't be coming home tomorrow. Chochul Gong muses over an old memory of Captain Ree's older brother, Jumyok. Dun dun dun. Yes. Back at Captain Ree's house the next day, Ju. So this is Jumok, not Jumyok. This is a different guy. Begs Seri to tell him the ending to another South Korean drama he's been watching. She kind of heartlessly tells him a character dies and he is distraught. <laughs> but Seri declares he shouldn't be sad about a drama that ended 10 years ago. Jumok and the three other soldiers are at the house working on Captain Ri's water supply so they can keep an eye on her. In Pyongyang that night, Captain Ri is having drinks with the general who apologizes for the interrogator's actions. Captain Ri wants to find out what really happened to his brother, Jumok, who reportedly died in a car accident while serving in the military near the North Korean border village where Captain Ri now lives. Captain Ri explains he thinks the engineers have a secret armored truck brigade and that the state security department has refused to investigate because they are in charge of the secret trucks. The general cautions him against jumping to conclusions and tells him to think of the future instead of the past. The soldiers of Captain Ree's company return to base that night and discover that Chochul Gong is directing a random house inspection. They call Captain Ree, hoping he can somehow save Seri, who will surely be found. 
Captain Ree asks to borrow the general's special car with a license plate that allows him to disregard the loss of the road, and Captain Ree speeds back home. And Did you ever like, get a sense of oh. how far the distance is really between Pyongyang and this rural town? It's a great question. They they say at some point that it takes about two hours to drive. Okay. So I'm assuming he gets there. Yeah, how fast does he, he has to get there? Pretty fast. <laughs> That's true. I never thought about that. <laughs> um, Will Sook, who is the and head of the village. There's a whole episode of the train ride oh. that takes, you know, the, the yes. whole night. To Although through. to be fair, that one has a, oh, for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Will Sook, who's the woman um, who went over to get curry favor with the colonel's wife um she's the head of the village um well suck is she's it's ca- she's called the inmin benjang um who is basically in charge of surveillance and making sure that people who the women who aren't who don't have full-time jobs are cleaning up the village and things like that she she's begins the house character. inspection oh yeah she's so great <laughs> seri oh, unaware of the coming inspection looks through the books in captain Ree's room and finds some sheet music a program from a piano concert captain Ree gave and an old application to a piano performance program in switzerland when seri hears a knock at the door she hides in the kimchi cellar but she's caught by cho gong who has joined the search when she won't explain who she is, and as the village gathers, Cho Chol Gong threatens that no one stays mute for long at the state security department. At that moment, Captain Ree arrives in the general's car and walks toward them dramatically. Cho Chol Gong, seeing him come, raises a gun to Seri's head. Captain Ree explains that Seri is his fiancée and a spy for North Korea just recently returned from the South. In a flashback... We see a woman at an assisted suicide institute in Switzerland, gently refusing Seri's request to be killed. Seri begs her, saying she's depressed and has eating disorders and insomnia and wants to die. The woman instead recommends that Seri see Switzerland before she leaves, and Seri is doubtful that this will help. (laughs) Later, she stands on a hillside, transfixed by some paragliders, and another Korean traveler comes up beside her to watch as well. It's Captain Ri younger and wearing a backpack and headphones they're both amazed by the paragliders but don't notice each other what an excellent summary thank you that was an thank intense you. amount of, of <laughs> narrative to just try and condense yeah. and do a quick summary uh, and i did take out her uh, her family you know they do those um scenes back with her family in south korea and they're very dysfunctional but decided to leave those out yeah remarkably dysfunctional i will say like when i think back on my favorite characters it's the North Korean side is yes. so, so much more going on in terms of character development and just making you just intrigued and delighted and fascinated by, by the characters that you get. Whereas it, with most of the South Korean stuff with her family business, it's like you're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do love her mother's character development back in South Korea, but yeah, yes, on I the whole, you could sort of just skip the South Korean side parts until a certain point. Yeah. So. Even like her, her father, like it seems intriguing that there must be some mysterious backstory, but we're never really revealed what yeah. his intriguing backstory is. It's just hinted at. And her brothers are just like competing for being awful and the brothers wives are awful in different ways <laughs> it's yes. just different, different different versions of awfulness from the south uh, south korean side but the north yeah. korean side like the soldiers are all so fascinating and just i'm so happy every time they're interacting <laughs> like their interactions are just so funny uh, and, and same with uh the women in this town it's just yeah. an amazing group of characters that they created yeah, and when Captain Ree interacts with him, and also when Seri is just with the soldiers, or when she's just with the the women, <laughs> it just feels like they're like this real community, which is mm-hmm. really cool. 
Um, a few stylistic things that I wanted to touch on. Uh, we mentioned like there's some elements uh, we already mentioned, like the way the credits start with like the the uh, Twilight Sparkle flash and then canvas <laughs> art of them gazing at each other. Uh, and also like repeatedly throughout the series, they stand about six feet apart and just give smoldering yeah. looks of longing at each other. Like there's very light on the physical contact, right? I mean, there's some kissing. It, it's not like being prudish about it, but the the romance the romantic shot seems to be six feet apart looking directly at each other and camera back and holding it for a good 30 seconds yeah <laughs> of us just staring you could think of it like they're doing that like new york times experiment where you stare into each other's eyes for four minutes and you like <laughs> fall in love or something but yeah there's this moment where they're both sitting at a piano and all of a sudden they're trans um like the whole scene moves to switzerland so now they're sitting on this piano but like the background is Switzerland. And then all of a sudden, without them actually moving, they are standing six feet apart, just staring at each other. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Um, and one other stylistic thing that I came to really enjoy is that they would do, like after the credits began, they would do like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like mid credit scene. But it would yeah. be going back, giving context to something that maybe you were like, how did that happen? And they go show you how it happened, but they didn't show you in the moment because they want, it's almost like the heist film where something crazy happens and you're like, Whoa, how did that person get there? And then like they, they do a flashback to explain how they plan to have everyone in the right position. And they will do that to kind of like reorient you on, on what happened. And I, it kind of became like, what are they going to show us this time? <laughs> yeah. I mean, every time it kind of feels like it's, Oh, it is this discovery, which means you kind of have to stick around for the glittery sparkle stills part. <laughs> <laughs> um and then one other thing that always stood out to me in on the south korean side uh there's two characters that worked for seria in uh, in her business um one who is feels a little more grounded and then one who's being played very broadly and like very emotionally like um and it almost feels like he's playing in a different story than the rest of the character like the actor is making a different choice Doesn't is it the get... insurance agent yeah yeah and i was wondering oh, yeah. like, is there like is, is that really broad comedic side character like something that happens in korean dramas that maybe is not as commonly done in, in western i'm trying to think of the other ones that i've watched since um nothing sticks out because it exactly, almost felt like he was playing but... a character type more than you know a character specific to this story yeah and he's kind of going through this breakdown so that's but yeah it is kind of broad in his <laughs> in his craziness. Yes. He just appears with like really um, crazy hair, and his clothes are all messed up, and yeah. and very quick to weeping. Very yeah, <laughs> and hair always eating chicken. Yeah, yes. yeah. The, the restaurants like so. Some of them were just called like in English. I would say like chicken and beer. <laughs> that was yeah. the restaurant name. <laughs> or there's a coffee place called Angel in Us. <laughs> yeah. Which apparently is a real a real one. So, mm -hmm. well, you mentioned that uh, like before we started recording, like a lot of the uh, product placement was, uh, you know, things that were negotiated to get the product in this series. Yeah, um, yeah. Apparently, a lot of the, and I guess that makes sense. That probably happens in mm -hmm. in U.S. TV shows as well. But um, South Korean dramas get a ton of their funding from um, sponsors, and so you've got that chicken barbecue place you've got like kit kats and land rovers there are so many moments in the show that looking back now the first time i didn't notice them as much but 
watching again it feels like it's like a land rover commercial they're just like laughing in the car together <laughs> like i wonder how much they paid for for that particular moment <laughs> Um, so you had, uh, brought in some specific things that you want to touch on as far as like possible topics of discussion. And one of them is the communal eating and the, the food in this looks amazing, uh, throughout the show. And I, I've started one other Korean drama and the food in there also, it like makes you hungry to watch the show. Um, but some of the ideas of, uh, eating in community and, uh, how that shows inclusivity or exclusivity for the characters, depending on where they're at when, when food is happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so Seri is really disconnected from her family at the beginning. Like, she's a really successful businesswoman. She's built herself up with her own company, even though her father has his. And um, she's gotten a lot of, she's been really isolated from her family. Um, she's a stepdaughter, and that's caused some conflict between her. Her, her father had her during an affair. And so yeah. her father and mother are mostly estranged, but live in the same house. And so, um, she doesn't eat with them. There's this moment where her in the first episode where her dad is offering to her the job of being his successor instead of her two older brothers who are also there with their wives. And um, so of course her older brothers are really upset and she says, I won't stay. I'm going to give you guys indigestion because I just got this <laughs> crazy promotion. Um, and I really like at that meal as well. Uh, one of the daughter-in-law's, daughters-in-law to curry favor with her father-in-law to get her husband the job um she presents him with this cake because he's just been released from prison so it's this celebratory <laughs> um cake but it's made of tofu and so i like the idea that like this is not a real cake and this family right. meal is this pretense and Sari is not interested you know she's been rejected by them so many times she's just not going to be part of this community with them yeah and throughout the whole series it's really clear that <laughs> food is being used for extra meaning like both in terms of things we're told about characters like um she's the picky princess and she she says like i never actually take more than three bites even when i go to the fanciest restaurants but she falls in love with this uh north korean cuisine that she's yeah. given by the, by the soldiers <laughs> by by captain Ree's noodles uh you know that he that he makes for her um and and it's definitely like moments of connection and when she, she tells the story oh, several times saying you know i i barely eat anything and the north koreans are like i have never seen you turn down food yeah <laughs> It becomes a running joke for them. Uh, yeah, she's like she constantly eats. eating potatoes and eggs and corn. And she's like, this is so good. And it'd be yeah. really interesting. Uh, you know, so I did the the binge mode viewing. But if I was to go back and rewatch it, like one thing I think I would definitely zero in on and think more about is the way food is being used for so much about the connections between these characters, who's preparing the food, who's consuming it, what is the social groupings around the food, because it's very big for uh, both her becoming accepted by the North Korean soldiers who are standoffish, but become like closer to her than her family. Uh, the, yeah. These North Korean soldiers that are hiding her, but then the women in the village and when they take food and and uh, who they're, they're giving the cheap food to, but who they go all out for is like these real uh, uh, revelations about uh, the social dynamics that are present in in the north korean community yeah and uh, this is kind of a spoiler but there's this lovely moment where <laughs> the north korean women i think there's are there five of them i can't remember um but they kind of force community upon her they um captain Ree has seemingly dumped her and so when he's out of the house they come at night with beer and dried pollock and they're like this is gonna be great and they 
like force her into the house with them and then they're like drinking beer and talking about how terrible Captain Ray is and she's like oh okay let's okay we'll just drink beer I guess <laughs> and, she, and they were so standoffish with her when they thought that she was the fiance because they're yeah you know, they're even the ones that are married are jealous <laughs> right yeah yeah of, 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 of her relationship but when she's been dumped it's like oh you are now one of us and we are going to protect you from that yeah. awful man <laughs> and initially and it's funny because it kind of feels like they're also like they're there for her but they're also there for themselves they're mourning that this man they thought was so great is now seemingly a two-timer who has another fiance beside Seri, you know? Um, and uh, there's this moment in, I think it might be in the third episode, where she they come to her and say like, okay, are you going to participate in our kimchi battle? And she's like, what? A battle with kimchi? And they're like, no, we just call it that. It's like us, all of us prepping kimchi for their winter. And she's like, no, I don't really like kimchi. And they're like, what are you talking? And so they're really offended because she won't be a part of that. And it means that Captain Ree won't get any kimchi for the winter. So she's like disregarding the fact that he might like kimchi. But Well, and, and again, just thinking about this, there's so many shots of food, both in North and South Korea. And uh, just starting to think about who's making it and everything. Like, I, I think th- there's no accidents in, in the choices that were being made with this. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, um oh, were there Oh, go ahead. Oh, it's, um there's this lovely moment where the head of the village has kind of not the head of sorry, um the senior colonel's wife has call, kind of fallen on hard times and all this time they've been giving her food and things because they, you know, are hoping that her husband will give their husband's promotions. Um but when she falls on hard times and they could all get in trouble for associating with her, they all bring her food anyway. Um, they like sneak in, in and the they all think they're doing independently. it like, yeah. individually, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, independently. And they all discover the other ones there. And it really like, it's, it's a moving thing. So, so I guess one thing I should say about this, this show, it has some moments that are just so cheesy. Almost every episode, like, like, where it's like almost unbearably cheesy for me as yeah. a Western viewer, yeah. but then also laugh out loud moments from the characters, like comedy that is rooted in just, uh, the things we already know about these characters and the and the lines they deliver and and just fantastic delivery and timing that is laugh out loud funny but then also you get hit with real emotion <laughs> like i was like oh yeah. I'm, I'm welling up a little watching this and sometimes it is something like you know these women sneaking food to someone who they know is having a really hard time and they're worried is she and her son gonna have enough food while her husband has been taken away for interrogation uh and uh they've been forbidden from helping her but they all independently try to smuggle her food and run into each other and i you know you like there's just real emotion that happens in there yeah and there's some um one of the things i was so impressed by with the show is that it's you know it's 16 episodes long and each one is about the length of movie but they i feel like it feels really fast like the they're often getting to a place i was not expecting them to get to much sooner than they had to you know and they're making you know interesting um dramatic choices so for those women there's this moment where um, she's going to be one of the North Korean villagers is going to be taken away and it's really dramatic and it's going to be terrible. You're like, you know, her fate is going to be awful. And these other women just come up in the middle of the night and they're like, nope, we're not doing that. And they, you know, protect her from this awful fate that you thought for sure was going to happen. And it just, you know, is circumvented so quickly. So I, I love that they're, um, they're moving it forward. And then there, there are these really lovely communities and, and toward the end you get these, the mesh of the North Korean soldiers and the North, this group of North Korean women that we've come to love. They kind of end up coming together in this lovely way. 
Yeah. Um, if we were going to dig into the characters, I think we've been talking a lot about some of the side, side characters, but our main two characters, you know, on which all the drama and the, you know, the relationship, will they, won't they stuff hang. Uh, yeah. Yunseri and Captain Rhee. Um, if you were going to describe what Captain Rhee is good at and what he has to get better at throughout the series, what, you know, <laughs> what are some of some of his attributes? <laughs> um, well, he, so the things he's good at, he's like, um, an Avengers. Well, she she makes some reference. Sari makes a reference to him saying he's not an Avenger. But then, of course, through mo- many episodes, he's like totally competent, and he can he can tell which kind of rifles people are using when he hears them shooting from far away. And he like comes he at definitely has action hero moment. Yes, yeah, he's fighting a group of twenty guys by himself, and um, or he like <laughs> takes on an armored truck and just with just a motorcycle, and he um, so he's definitely got that part down but anytime um he he acts this well yeah so he's got that and then he's super um firm in his integrity like when his actual fiance meets seri um seri's sort of pretending that she's not staying at captain Rhee's house because she thinks that would look bad <laughs> and he's like where are you going you do stay here just go inside the house and he's so he's not interested in presenting things in a way that they aren't um and then I would say, like, um, on the weakness side, he, uh, it's kind of a weakness and kind of a strength. He's kind of put his life on hold since his brother's accident. And he's, he's mm-hmm. become a soldier instead of a pianist, um, kind of to honor so his we find out He's a concert level pianist, like one yeah. of the world's greatest pianist is yeah. how it's presented. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Clearly his concerts are very successful. There's a flashback. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so Captain Ree hasn't played the piano since his brother died. He wrote him this really lovely song and he didn't get to play it for him. And uh, he really looked up to his older brother. Um, he So he's put his life on hold as he's sort of doing this investigation um, into his brother's death. And he's moved down to this North Korean village to do that. And he's also, he doesn't really interact with his parents. He has been engaged for seven years and he's not it's an arranged marriage and he's not really interested in her, but he has the sense of duty. Um, so he's definitely dealing with some things that he needs to, you know, probably go yeah, to therapy he's, he's for. Emo- he's emotionally cut off. Uh, yeah. When we, when we first meet him. Uh, yeah. I, I think that that's uh, a lot of his competencies are these more, let's just say like, externally aggressive <laughs> modes he's yeah. very good at uh when it comes to like interiority self-reflection <laughs> emotional connectedness he's not not as strong suits yeah he's super confused by seri especially because you know she's starting to actually be interested in him but she's also trying to get away from north korea and so mm-hmm. when she like show when she does little things that he thinks are a sign that she likes him he's super excited and then when she does things that may mean he doesn't like him he responds like this pouting little boy oh <laughs> like, he, he gets so pouty and it's great every time yeah he, <laughs> yeah, he so does great. and he does some really great sighs like <sighs> you know like but they're exasperation sighs. Mm-hmm. yeah uh I, I i'm glad you you brought that up um i love it when captain Ree has to like call the quorum of uh people and um what's the name of the the soldier that loves the south korean dramas um i Jil- think it's jumok J- jumok and, and he's always like jumok can you explain 
what this means to me. And Jumok <laughs> is always so pleased to be the expert in the room on South yeah. Korean culture because he's watched the South Korean dramas um, and, and explained. So yeah, he has like this, um, like, as you said, like he's, he's tried to cut off all emotions since his brother died. Um, and it, it leads to um, this kind of like naivete that he has to, kind of work through where he's he's developing real honest emotional connection uh with seri and he doesn't quite know what to do with it and so he he has to you know get some help uh along the way to try and work through what his own feelings are and also like interpret it it almost feels like uh you know in uh like like junior high like what what does that mean yes with with your friends but but these are like you know grown adults but that you know that being in the military that they just don't have that social uh intelligence uh for dealing with someone uh from south korea who just has all these different social cues that they're not uh sure quite quite sure how to interpret yeah and none of the other north korean soldiers that we mainly interact with is married mm-hmm. um and so that yeah they don't have that experience and it's funny you know he is a very uh, you know he is emotionally closed off but he's also very affectionate in the mm-hmm. um like when she's asking him for body wash and things initially he says like just use soap and then when he comes home he's bought her basically everything he possibly could (laughs) and he has to make he often has to make excuses for himself for the affection that he's showing be like no didn't i explain to you i did it for this reason and not because i like you i don't like you yeah yeah and and like the the food preparation that he does that is just so uh deliberate it's it's not like i'm just getting something ready it is i'm yeah i'm doing the best the best food i know how to make i'm doing it for you and it's while you're asleep so that you just wake up to a very nice meal is already prepared. Yeah. He like goes through all the extra effort to get a smuggler to bring coffee beans and then he cooks them outside while she's asleep and, um, and provides those for her because he knows that she's missing coffee. Yeah. So, so, so there are lots of those moments where he's like making the right choices for a boyfriend, <laughs> even though yeah, he says yeah. he doesn't know <laughs> uh, what to do. And it makes like for viewers, it makes you like just root for him so much. Uh, but then like the moments where he has the confidence are all like the action hero, slow-mo uh, fight shots. You know, that's where he's really in what he feels like is his element, even though um, despite his like trepidation and his feelings of discomfort about it, like he's hitting it out of the park a lot when it comes to the relationship stuff. Yeah. And she points that out. She's like, do you know that you know how to make women's hearts flutter? She just did that. And he's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, but he he also like as far as like characteristics he is so stoic in so many scenes um like he just has this dead stare at her uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um that that is conveying some stuff but also like as, as an acting choice i think it, it it limits like the amount of emoting that he has to do to play this character so yes. stoically yeah um though both of them i do want to give it they get the uh like the welling of water in the eyes acting oh, down. Oh, so both of them with red eyes, eyes welling with, with water. There's one scene later in the season where he's got to do like a wailing cry. Not his best moment of acting work. I would just <laughs> say. But the uh, my eyes are starting to brim with tears. I'm like, how do they keep doing this over and over? Yeah, it would be interesting to know what the technique is. And there is this one moment where most of their hugs are fine. But there's this one moment where he hugs her from behind. Do you remember? 
when yes. this happened. And it was like so awkward. Like usually <laughs> I can give the romantic scenes a pass and sometimes they make me laugh and sometimes like, oh yeah, you got me. But this one I was just like, ah, I have to skip ahead of this part because he's like hugging her back, but it's clear he like doesn't know how to hug. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, well, if we were going to talk about Seri uh, and some of her characteristics that that define her, uh, what do we have? I, I, I mean, we, we need to acknowledge at the very beginning, she also has some emotional work to do. <laughs> because yes. she has grown up in, uh, for very different reasons, an emo- very emotionally stunted family uh, situation. You know, yeah. not the... Uh, death, uh, tragic death of a brother who was murdered by someone who's going to become your mortal enemy. Like small spoiler, that's pretty written on the wall from very early on in the series. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, just a horrible family situation, and was like driven to independence by the utter rejection of her, like uh, the severing of her filial bonds. Right? Yeah. And she's kind of hardened herself against that, and so she's this really successful businesswoman, but she's very uncaring about other people's feelings there's this great flashback at one point where it's christmas eve and all of her workers are working and they're like this is just too much it's christmas and she's like what do you celebrate other people's birthdays you're not a christian and so um and they keep working and it's like 11 p.m but then uh yeah so when she starts to get more familiar with the north korean soldiers especially she like wants to bring them potatoes and she gives them awards for helping her (laughs) even though she has nothing to give and so she's handing out like captain reese potatoes and captain reese tv and and and, like uh, just verbal awards and they they all get jealous of each other yeah (laughs) like whatever the other one's getting the other soldiers are all jealous of of this even though they're pretending not to be it is a great scene i think in terms of like character evolution we actually see more from uh seri than we do from captain re um like he heals some from some of the emotional damage that he had but he's still largely the same from beginning to end she becomes a different person through the series yeah Um, and in terms of how she treats other people uh in terms of what is important to her and what's going to motivate her like all those shift pretty dramatically yeah um a lot of things like um her treatment of her elders in south korea your age in relation to other people is super important. So if you're a couple of years older, you expect to be addressed in a different way um, than if you were the same age as someone. And which is interesting because the actors in real life are the same age. So my friend who um, was born in South Korea, but adopted to the U S but has since gone back to South Korea. She said like, it's really cool that they're the same age because then they can treat each other um, just as equals in that way. Um, but Seri does not treat her elders respectfully. Like um, the head of the North Korean village, Nawal Suk, she, at one point she says, Seri, you're smiling with your eyes, but when you talk like that, you're disrespecting me and I just want to slap you. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> and, uh, and then as her relationship with Captain regrows, there's this moment where he's upset with his father and she's like, you have to apologize. And he's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, that was not okay. He's your elder. You can't, you know. So there are a lot, yeah, a lot of things that shift as she mm-hmm. grows in her relationship with him. One of the things I love the most is um, her relationship with her mother Um you know captain re feels like it's really important that she heals those bonds and so um you know that relationship begins to grow and part of the issue is that she you know she was illegitimate illegitimate well yeah so her her father had an affair and then she came to live with her father's wife and she grew up 
you know, feeling like she was her mother, which, you know, she was, but um, her mother felt really resentful toward her and she didn't realize until these big moments that um, she really loves her and cares for her. And so they're able to kind of repair that relationship. And and the show does lots of flashbacks that show you that her emotional trauma is real and based yes. in uh, actual events that would traumatize anyone, not some imagined slights of, you know, yes. oh, my family's were, it's like, nope, these, these were horrible people who treated a child very badly. Yeah, she's always telling the, you know, the North Korean soldiers are saying, you know, the, your family will be so excited to have you back. I'm sure they're so worried about you. And she's like, I don't really know. And they're like, no, of course they are. And she's like, I... there may be hitmen being hired, you know. Yeah, they might be trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's uh, a very rough family relationship, but particularly like in terms of how we see her, um, like, like just in terms of how she thinks about other people, when we get those flashbacks to her as a boss and in terms of her family relationship, like she's just so cold and the people aren't, she doesn't have human relationships with them, right? That yeah. All her, her workers and her family and everyone, they're just um, parts of her life, but not like warm social relationships in any way, shape or form. And, uh, through the transformation that we get, like she forms real warm social bonds that are going to transform her. And we see some of that transformation across these 16 episodes. And the Siri at the end is so different than the Siri at the beginning. And uh, it feels earned and, and legitimate, yeah. you know, er- er- everything that has happened. And y- y- like, I think we all are rooting for Siri at the beginning in some ways, almost like the motivation is spite. <laughs> like we want her to succeed despite her awful brothers and, yeah. and these terrible family dynamics. But by the end, like we're rooting for her because she's become a good person. Yeah, definitely. Um, are there, do you have any favorite side characters? I do just want to acknowledge oh. the amazing cast that surrounds uh, Captain Rhee and Sori in this, in this show. Yes, there are so many good ones. I think um, the one who's been most interesting to me lately is um, Jun Man Bok. He's uh, the North Korean spy who brings his son a donut. Um, so his role, um, his character really develops. He spends all of his days in this little tunnel far away from everybody, except for the other guys who are listening in on people's conversations. And so he knows so much about Captain Rhee because he's been assigned to spy on him. But um, Captain Rhee has sort of never met him. And um, (laughs) so he's kind of participating in the games that like they have this drinking game at one point and he's participating in it <laughs> and he'll sometimes like say things out loud and the other people in the room with him will be like, what did you say something? Do you, you know? Um, and um, you find out that he is carrying this heavy burden of this betrayal that he's done. And, um, and uh, so he kind of has to come to terms with that. Um, but he's this really lovely character who gets these really awesome uh, moments of community later on. And, and uh, so I love and his And you just want him to be happy. He's one character yeah. that you're kind of oh. like, every once in a while uh, on the podcast, we talk about characters like, like they just need a hug. Like, I kind of want to hug yeah. this character. And he is definitely <laughs> one where it's like, you've had, it's not that you've made bad choices. You've had no good choices presented to you in your life. And you have so much guilt basically because you were forced into all these bad choices yeah and you your heart breaks over and over for him and he just loves his his wife and his son so much and it's it's yeah i I agree this one character that definitely stands out yeah and he's always kind of 
you know, crouched over a little bit and he's not super tall and he's like kind of nervous. And there's this great scene where he, <laughs> he doesn't kind of, like, he doesn't really register that he's now around people and he's trying to um, spy on these two women. <laughs> and so he's just literally standing right behind them and walking like <laughs> right behind them, listening to their conversation. Like he thinks that they can't see him or something. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I loved uh, Chisu, the uh, North Korean who is just so uh, suspicious of anything South oh, Korean. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, his, his character, I don't know how to describe everything about him, but like all the contradictions that he embodies are just high comedy, <laughs> I think. Because yeah. he has like this repulsion and attraction to South Korea. And everything that it represents, and he wants to uh, dismiss and insult it, but he's also, uh, you know, just entranced by anything South Korean that he comes across. And he also has like this arrogance, but also a neediness about him. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, that leads to a lot of great comedic moments. And he's also he's always threatening to kill Seri and bury her by a river or a mountain. And you know, as the as he continues to say that through the throughout the episodes you come to understand it's his like sign of affection towards her um but there's this lovely moment when he reads her this poem he's written and it's you know clear that he um you know thinks of her as this friend and he tells her he wants her to be safe and um then other moments he'll be like i wish i will always regret that i didn't kill you and bury you by a mountain (laughs) i wish my bullet had found you the day i saw you yeah that. <laughs> uh yeah he's, he's a great one and also um G- oh, the one that loves south korean uh culture uh, yeah um jumok i think jumok, uh, yeah. so much that is great about him and and then the other like sweet innocent one uh the the, the north korean soldiers are great and oh, then yeah. i do want to uh, just again another shout out to the women in the, in that north korean ca- uh, town and i was not expecting how attached I would become to their little social circle and uh, the, the the internal politics, but also how they stopped caring about the internal politics when it was actually hurting someone. Yeah. <laughs> like, like this, it's a strange, like your status matters so much uh, in, in that little world of this rural North Korean town and, you know, who's in charge and who's married to whom is so important for status. But then as soon as there's an actual need, it's all thrown out the window and they just come together so beautifully. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, and uh, then I, I like, I don't. It's so hard not to talk about the end of the series and and how they handle everything. But I, I know, yeah, really, just want to recommend it to <laughs> listeners go watch the whole series. But I love the little um, ways that Seri is able to to let them know that she she appreciates them. And yeah, it's oh, another yeah. one of those where it's like, oh, I was not expecting the feels that this <laughs> this revelation is giving me. <laughs> but just know it comes. <laughs> Yeah. And I, um, you know, it's really interesting to have read the books about North Korean defectors and see this um, because North Korea is a real place and there are actual, you know, there are people who were actually upset about the um, depiction of it being too positive. (laughs) Um, And you kind of get a sense of like, oh, yeah, there are some really tricky things. But I love the idea that there could be this community. And it, it just... I, I, as you said before, I don't op- like we don't often think about North Korea, or at least I don't North Korea and South Korea and their relationship. Um, but um, you get the sense from this that like they're real people and they're living real lives despite this government and the rules placed upon them. 
and, and they they both both sides like talk about reunification, but the way they talk about it is like this interesting like mythical thing, but also yeah. you can you can sense like kernels of hope that this will actually happen at some point. Yeah. Uh, but the, also the way they talk about it, you know, it's, it doesn't feel realistic at the same time. And it's interesting because, you know, um, the division of North and South Korea, you know, it happened in 1948. It wasn't that long ago. So there are some family members who are on the North Korean side of Korea. And then there are others, you know, separated and uh, they have had some family reunions, but they've been very limited. And so one of this, the, and uh, you know, North Korea has done really poorly economically of late, and so they still talk about reunification. But as younger South Korean citizens seem to, you know, look like they look down on North Korean defectors in South Korea often, and they know that it would be a hardship, an economic hardship, if the two countries were to reunite, at least for mm. you know, at least for some South Korean citizens. Right, um, and even uh, like one moment that still stands out, and it's it's not. I mean, they, they take a scene on it, so they they are giving it time, but it's not like a major plot point. But there's a moment where Seri and the North Korean soldiers are in the um, doing their their border patrol, and then like this is one of their chances. Oh, there's so many chances where they try and sneak her across. Just yeah, no, it, 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 it's sometimes it gets a little ridiculous the things that they're going to do to try and get her back across to South Korea, and you just are waiting like, how is this one going to go wrong? Uh, but they're getting close to the DMZ, and and they're like, sure the the house that they hang out at when they're on their border patrol. They're like, well, yeah, we're going to be out here for a couple months. This is the house we hang out. And she realizes like, Oh, this was someone's like home home when the division happened. Uh, and there's like family photos in, in the house. And uh, they talk about, Oh, we, we don't touch that because that's um, I can't remember what, what they called it, but they said, you know, that that would have been the, the mother in this house, leaving a marker for her son and hoping for his safe return. I think it was. And so yeah. we don't touch that, you know, uh, because it has, such culture and tradition behind it. And that mother is still waiting for her son to come back. Uh, and no one's lived in this house since, you know, it became so close to the, the, the militarized zone that I'm, I, you know, it became its own kind of like liminal space between North Korea and the DMZ line and, and South Korea. Yeah. There are a lot of great mothers in this um, show, you know, that they, they do all respect that it's kind of this little bowl on top of this, um, I can't remember what it's on top of, but um, that this mother put there for her son to come back home safely. And they're all like, we don't touch that. Everyone has a mother, everyone, you know, and so, and so much of the show is about Sadie's relationship with her mother and Captain Rhee with his, and then his fiance's with her mother. Um, and her mother's kind of ridiculous, but also you come to find that she's just, she's in her ridiculous actions. She's trying to show her love for her daughter who, uh, you know, loves Captain Rhee and who doesn't love her back. You know. Right. And I do want to say, like, throughout the whole series, um, like with, with the premise and you know that Captain Rhee and these soldiers are trying to smuggle Seri uh, back across the border, you could feel like she might lose some of her agency. But I think the series does a good job throughout of allowing both of them to have uh, you know, moments where their choice is going to drive the action, uh, their choice is going to save one another, uh, and they have areas where their expertise is going to matter more. Where, like, literally, like, I know what to do here, and you don't, so you need to listen to me. Uh, yeah. You know, throughout, and so um, I, I think there are some like individual moments. If you just looked at that moment, you might say, "Oh, is she just a damsel in distress, and he's the knight in shining armor." Uh, yes, in in this particular instance, but they do 
turn it around and her, and her choices, uh, you know, deliberate choices and her, her actions are going to save his life and are going to uh, alter the course of the action. Uh, and it's not just, you know, Sleeping Beauty in the Castle or anything like that. Yeah. And the name of her company is called Seri's Choice. It's like a beauty product company. But she's she's wearing, when she's paragliding, she's wearing an outfit that has her logo on the back of it. And so when she's trying to decide between two paths to take in the DMZ, the camera zooms in on her logo and it's like Seri's Choice. <laughs> you know, so I think they, you know, they really try to emphasize that she is an agent. She's, you know, she's making decisions and as is he. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for suggesting this show. Uh, and, and again, it became one of those where someone asked us to do it. And my wife and I ended up binging the entire thing that happened. Uh, you know, it, it's happened with a few other shows uh, that have been suggested or, or requested that we do uh, episodes on. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I recommend it wholeheartedly to viewers right now. It is on Netflix, the whole thing. Um, so you can definitely watch it there. Uh, do you have any final thoughts about this uh, Korean TV drama before we wrap up? Oh, I just, I think it's so great. And as I mentioned with Man, Man Bak before, the the guy who's spying on them, I feel like he's kind of in the place of us as viewers. You know, he's participating with them, but really they don't know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> so he feels so close to them as you can start to feel with these characters. But, but that, you know, that relationship is not in real life. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think for, all the characters that are being rewarded because they either are good people or are making choices to be better people throughout the show, like their reward is better human relationships, not wealth, you know, not increasing status. It's becoming more emotionally whole through warm, loving relationships. That's, yeah. that's the reward um, that comes. And obviously there are some villains in this that deserve to get punished. And it's very satisfying when they do get punished. <laughs> um, yeah, it uh, is. Although you could kind of just skip those scenes and have them. <laughs> a yeah. very relaxing watch if you want to. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but I, I, I like the idea. I, I mean, you put a note here near the end where you said like the relationship leads to less isolation, more connection, more respect and love for their families. And, I, I agree. Like that is a great takeaway uh, for this uh, show that is like set in the, uh, a part of the world that I don't know a whole lot about. It's, uh, you know, airing in a language that I don't speak and for an audience that has a different set of expectations for their entertainment. Uh, but that theme is a really beautiful one. And I think the show does an excellent job of communicating it and making it feel like a natural progression for these characters and not like, you know, an Aesop's fable moral at the end of the story. Like, I hope you learn this. Uh, it's just like, no, this is what is the right result of uh, the, the good choices that these people are making. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, Rachel, you're a first time guest. And for our first time guests, we have the dinner guest question. Our podcast celebrates great characters and great stories. If you could have a dinner party with uh, several fictional characters, who would you want to invite over just to enjoy their company for a dinner party? Yes. So I was so excited about this question because I listened to the podcast for so long <laughs> and I kept thinking like, what would I do? So I decided that I would want a group of cool women together. Um, so I was thinking Sophie from the book, the book version of Howl's Moving Castle. She's, especially when she's an old lady, she's just so great. And then um, I've been recently re listening to The Blue Castle, which is written by Ellen Montgomery. And the main character, I think her name is Valency. Um, she's, uh, she's got this really lovely progression from like very sad and very um, 
uh, I can't find the right word, but she's kind of moping around um, to this like really capable and um, woman who's just really enjoying her life. So, um, and then I oh, did just watch- real quick. Oh, so yes. we've done an episode on Hell's Movie Castle. I'm familiar. Any longtime listeners will know that one. I don't know the Blue Castle. Could you just give me like a, a two sentence description of what that book is about? Yeah. So, uh, Valency is a 29 year old um, who hasn't has never married, and she lives this very oppressive life with her mother. And she finds out that she's dying of a heart thing, and so she just decides to throw out all of the conventions that she's been living with, and she. Um, makes all these decisions so that she can live the life that she's interested in living. So, all right. Yep. Um, and then I did watch Bridgerton. Though, there are many scenes I would suggest skipping, but <laughs> um, Lady Danbury from Bridgerton is so great. She's this wealthy, well-respected widow. She walks around with a cane and she's like very observant and straightforward um and she's interested in other people's happiness i thought she'd be cool to have around and then my last so the last of these four women would be cj craig from the tv show the west wing great choice great character she's so cool and she's like sometimes flustered but she's clearly very capable and funny and i was thinking these women have very strong personalities and it's possible they would rub each other the wrong way so it's like what can break the tension i thought we should all be sitting on Totoro from my neighbor Totoro. <laughs> He's this giant, fluffy, sort of bear-like creature who's like very smiley and he roars a lot. And I thought that would definitely lead our conversation in a particular direction and might like get rid of the um, initial awkwardness or annoyance at each, at each other's idiosyncrasies, you know, get us into like good conversation. <laughs> So we'd be eating on top of Totoro is what I'm imagining. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. I think that would be the best dinner party. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Totoro's there. <laughs> well, uh, thank you again, Rachel, for coming on. Uh, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you, listeners, for downloading. For show notes and links to all of the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, you can please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can email us by, or reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at ProtagonistPod or at Jay Dorowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at DizMinute, and our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast, and Dueling Genre does have a Discord channel where all of the hosts of Dueling Genre shows uh, gather, and people can talk about the podcast episodes and other things that uh, they're enjoying in pop culture. Uh, Rachel, is there anything you would like to plug at all? Well, um, I don't have a Facebook page, but my husband does, and we're currently trying to sell a very old Acura MTX on, <laughs> on Marketplace. <laughs> so if you're interested, <laughs> you can uh, check that out. <laughs> <laughs> that is a first, and I'm delighted. I'm glad I, <laughs> I didn't here for it. I did not come on the podcast to sell this 2003 MDX, but if it happens. <laughs> if it does happen because of the podcast, I just want to know about it. Okay, uh, please, I'll let you know. <laughs> please let us know if it works. Well, thank you, listeners. Uh, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Oh, I lost. Uh, I just lost you there. Oh.
I uh, okay. I'll give you. I'll give it a fresh read, and Andrew okay. can edit in. 